Hey guys, welcome back to the Life Snacks podcast, a podcast where we discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, how to truly create our greatest lives and navigate that crazy time that is life after college and in our 20s. If you're new here, welcome. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, personally obsessed with snacks, personal development, and helping women be more connected as we navigate this crazy time in life. Okay, so guys, this episode is really special and different. One of my goals for this podcast in the new year was really to embrace myself and my curiosity and this idea that if I have a question about something or I'm interested in it, probably you are too, or there's someone listening that is. So instead of just talking about maybe the perfect topics I've heard on other podcasts, I'm really focused on diving into different topics that we're all curious about that people don't talk about as much and that might be more taboo. So we are going to take the podcast a little in that direction this year and in the future, which I'm really excited about. So with that, today we're talking about mushrooms. Well, we're also talking about careers and all that jazz, but we spend a big chunk of the episode talking about mushrooms. Yep, like the psychedelic shroom trip. And we also talk about all the crazy health benefits you probably didn't know from including functional mushrooms in your diet. Today, we have the honor of chatting with Tracy Homlos. Tracy is the founder of Pangea Dreams, the number one industry leader in women's educational retreats, the co-founder of Mesh, a community building initiative focused on intentional connections, co-founder of Multiverse, the world's first marketplace for high functional mushroom products, And in this conversation, you'll hear the companies she's soon to be coming out with and the new products she's excited about creating. Tracy's energy, you can literally feel through her voice. She is such a high vibe human and we talk about her business, Pangea Dreams, the first of its kind creative retreat company for women. We also dive into the community she's building through a company called Mesh and through LA Hike Club that are really all about building communities for other people to connect and have authentic conversations. Then we dive into this mushroom piece. Now, Tracy started experimenting with just functional mushrooms. So those are things you see in more like mainstream products that are like borsigmatic coffee or powders to put in your smoothies, things like that. And she started experimenting with those because she had awful eczema all over her whole body, her face, and she kept going to doctors that just literally were like, oh, you need to use this cream, you need to use this medicine, and nothing worked for years. So she actually ended up curing her eczema using these functional mushrooms, and she was just amazed in the power all of these different types of mushrooms. I didn't know there was that many types of mushrooms that didn't make you trip. Like, there's so, so, so many, and they all have different benefits, which she explained on the podcast. So she cured her eczema using functional mushrooms, And then we dive into the psychedelic side. She talks about her first trip on psychedelic mushrooms and how it really unlocked this happiness within her that she didn't know really existed. The reason she is so obsessed with mushrooms, though, and the reason we talk so much about this psychedelic piece is because psychedelic drugs are actually being used to cure PTSD, anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. And she hopes are soon going to be something your doctor will recommend to you. 
we dive into a business venture that Tracy is bringing to market soon, really focused on helping people use psychedelic mushrooms responsibly and informing them on how to use them. And guys, I ask all the questions about how to take psychedelics, why is it bad to drink and do shrooms? What's the best way to do shrooms? I ask for all the details. So I really dive in here. And Tracy also explains all the types of functional mushrooms for your health. And honestly, some of the ways she's taking mushrooms sound like a pretty good snack. This is filled with so much info. And I literally went to Whole Foods right after and was like, I'm getting this mushroom powder to put in my smoothie every day because I was so, so excited by everything she shared. I know you're gonna love this. Tracy is an incredible serial entrepreneur. She offers so much life and career advice that helped her follow her intuition and find her path and allow herself to continue to evolve. This is one of my favorite conversations, hands down. I cannot wait to share it with you all. Let's dive into my conversation with Tracy Comlos. Tracy, we like to start this podcast with the most important question, and that is, what is your favorite snack right now, and what was your favorite childhood snack? <laughs> I love this question. So my favorite snack right now is probably, um, I actually just received these brain mushroom gummies. Mm. Um, it's by a new company called OMFG gummies and they taste incredible. They're like a raspberry and peach flavor and Yum. you're only supposed to have two, but I just can't stop snacking on them. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. That's like, this is totally different, but that's like the vitamin C guide or the yes. vitamin C vitamins. And you like, you're supposed to have two, but they taste like sour candy. So you can't stop eating them. Exactly. And I'm like, it's okay. I'll just be super charged and really focused. So at least it's good for me. <laughs> I love it. And what was your favorite childhood snack? Very different. Um, my favorite childhood snack was probably two different things. One of them was the Haagen-Dazs coffee ice cream. I Yum. loved that. And um, the s'mores Pop-Tarts. Mm, s'mores Pop-Tarts. <laughs> That's so funny. I love the Haagen-Dazs like chocolate dipped cones as a kid. Those were, mm. those were so good. Yeah. Both those good snacks. Definitely. And two things I probably would not eat at all ever today, it's but so funny. I enjoyed it as a child. It's so <laughs> funny how our snacking has evolved as the world has evolved. Absolutely. Okay. So Tracy, take us back to when you were in your early twenties, had just graduated from college. Who was Tracy then? What was she feeling? What was she going through? And what did she think she was going to do with her life and her career? Mm. So I have always been a rebel in a way. Like I really don't like authority. I don't like being told what to do for me. It was always like a challenge of like, okay, this is how everyone says to do something. How can I think outside of the box and do it, do the same thing, but do it in a different way. And, you know, going through university, I, again, I was not a great student. I really didn't like sitting in classes and reading from books and like experiencing the world through those eyes, I wanted to really get out there and go and, and learn from hands-on experiences. So the person who I was then and what I thought I was going to do with my life was, I always knew that I was going to work for myself. And I think something that was really important for me was that I had the flexibility and freedom to create my own schedule, not necessarily having to be somewhere every single day from nine to five. But at that point, I didn't know what that was going to be. I just knew that that was what I was striving towards. 
And what made you then take this entrepreneurial path? I know you did some traveling in college. Can you tell us about that and how that impacted the path you took initially? Definitely. Travel for me was my biggest teacher. Like that's where I got the strongest education, both both personally and um, worldly. And for me, you know, the my first trip to India was when I really experienced the world outside of what I was exposed to, you know, growing up in Canada, traveling to the US, you know, maybe going to Mexico on family vacations. India was the first time that I saw a different reality and a different way of experiencing, you know, highs and lows and what was joy and how people design their lives and different ways of being, you know, and that for me gave me the permission to think outside of the box of just the standard, like, get a nine to five job, you know, go do that until you're Mm -hmm. you're 50 or 60, then retire. And then you live. I was like, no, I want to live every day in the present moment. Um, and just that trip to India. And then my exchange programs, you know, I did an exchange program in Australia and then in London and Barcelona. Um, and then I did a lot of like Southeast Asia travel, South America. It was through all of that, that really exposed me to, um, a different way of seeing any being in the world. And that was, that was what I wanted to strive for. What, for someone that hasn't been to India, what was so eye-opening about the experience? Like what was so different about the values they lived their life by that you really wanted to bring back? Mm, really, it was, it was the happiness in simplicity that stood out to me the most. You know, here in, in North America, there's, there's a constant striving for more, more, more. If I have this, then I'll be happy. If I have that, then I'll, then I'll, I'll get the thing or I'll do that. And it's, it's a constant cycle and it's a vicious cycle because you actually will never find happiness. If you're constantly striving for what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. You don't get to enjoy the present moment. And when I was in India, you know, it was, that was it. It was the present moment is what we had. That's what you're living with. And it was that, that hyper attention, I think, to the presence and being in the now that was a massive learning for me. And the happiness with the simplicity was, was such a beautiful experience. You know, I I was living in the living, I was there for a month in the slums, just outside of Delhi in a, in a town called Faridabad. And there, you know, you'd walk down the the little alleys of, you know, people's homes and where people were living and children were just on the street playing with garbage, you know, but the happiness that they were experiencing, it didn't matter that it was classified as garbage. These children were still having an incredible time playing and laughing. And it was those moments that really stuck with me of really, how can I also like reconsider what happiness is and what it looks like for me? And it's not necessarily dependent on a thing, like a materialistic item. Uh, That's so good. We were just talking about on another podcast, like looking at external things for happiness. Often we get so caught up in like the external that makes us happy. When I get the house, when I get the relationship, when I buy the thing, So how, how did you come back and like really shift your mindset? Like, was it instant? What did you have this culture shock? What did it feel like? Yeah, I think so. so That destination happiness is such a toxic way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, when I got back to Canada, um, it was really hard for me, actually. I had almost reverse culture shock. Yeah. 
And um, I obviously had never experienced anything like that before. And it was really, it took me about like two, about two to three months to transition back to the way we live here in North America. Um, Not only from like a value standpoint, but also like a monetary standpoint, like being there and seeing how cheap it was to live, how, you know, I was able to feed a family of six people for a week with like $20. It was, it was crazy. And then coming back and spending $20 on a salad, I was like, this is crazy. Like, where's the value here? Um, you know, my parents had to sit me down and they were like, Tracy, what you learned there and what you experienced there is beautiful. And that's incredible, but everything is relative, you know, so take the learnings and lessons, but also incorporate them into what's realistic here. And that, yeah, that took some time to definitely reincorporate, but I would say those were some of the biggest lessons that completely transformed and changed my life till this day there. There's not a day that goes by where something from what I learned and experienced in India doesn't come true, you know, and come forth in my day-to-day life here in the way that I interact with people in the way that I choose to, you know, purchase things where I hold value in life. Um, so yeah, it was really, really, really profound. Do you find yourself being someone that's like more extreme? Like when you learn a lesson, you want to like deploy it at full force. Cause I feel like I'm kind of hearing <laughs> that from you and I can be a bit that way when mm-hmm. you like find something or realize something or have this switch that flips, like, is that something you would identify with? Oh, big time, big time. When, yeah. yeah. Like when I can, when I see a different way of being that can then make my life so much better, I'm like, why would I not do this? You know? And I definitely take it to an extreme sometimes where then I need to also like reel it back Mm -hmm. in and like find a healthy middle ground, you know? And in university, I did study like some Eastern, uh, yeah, Eastern religion. So, you know, like Buddhism and Hinduism. And one of the things that stuck out with me with Buddhism was the, the path of like suffering, you know, the eightfold path of how to alleviate <laughs> suffering and not have suffering in your life. And I think I took that to an extreme where I kind of was very, I'm really intense and I, and I'm very passionate about a lot, but I also practice like non-attachment, mm. you know? And so like non-attachment yeah. to ideas, thoughts, people, things, businesses, like whatever it might be. Um, and in a way, sometimes, especially with personal relationships that can come off as you're sort of like, you don't really care. Care, yeah. Um, and that's somewhere where I'm sort of like trying to reel myself back in, you know, and <laughs> yeah, that's, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. I think the idea of detaching, like can be very, very positive and it is very positive detaching from outcomes. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about how you do that in your own life and what that whole concept is? Yeah, for sure. I think a a perfect example of that was actually when the pandemic hit um, March 2020, you know, for 2020, we had 12 retreats planned for my previous company, Pangea Dreams. We had them in places like India, Morocco, Bali, Mexico, Peru. And, you know, I was faced with a decision of like, I am running a travel company during a global pandemic. We need to now either pivot the business or I need to close the business because it's very clear that we need to cancel all upcoming retreats. And it was in that moment where I was like, I can either sit here and dwell and feel sorry for myself and play a victim, or I can accept the cards that I was dealt. I can accept the reality of what's happening in the world. I cannot control this. 
And through that acceptance, I can surrender to what's happening and then also move forward with like dignity and grace, you know? Yeah. And that's definitely what I chose. But my team was like, well, we can do this. We can do online retreats. We can, you know, innovate in all these ways. But like my heart, I guess, in that, in that way was like, doing all of this is going to create so much more suffering. You know, the company, we had an incredible run with it. Maybe this is a sign to in a way, like pivot and move on, you know, and surrender to this and accept what's, what what's being handed to us in a way. And I think the non-attachment to the idea of what Pangea dreams was and the non-attachment to also like my ego and my identity around, you know, me being like the founder of this company, I, w- I had to sit with that, you know, and be like, no, I can be whatever I want. And my identity isn't just tied to that. You know, there's so many other ways that I can show up and be. And in that, it allowed for so much space for creativity in other ways. Um, and also, you know, didn't really make the transition in the decision of closing that company that difficult because I wasn't so emotionally attached to to the future and the ideas of it. I was living very much in the present moment and dealing with it as it came. That's so beautiful. And I feel like most people didn't feel that way in 2020 or just like give themselves the grace. Cause I think what I'm hearing is you really give yourself the grace to evolve because you know, you within, so you don't need to be attached to your business talking about your business. Can you share about Pangea dreams? Our listeners can probably sense it's a travel based company, which was a challenge in 2020, but can you share how you came up with the idea for the company and what it was? Yeah. So Pangea dreams actually right out of university was my, my way of creating my reality. You know, I wanted to solve the problem for how do I get paid to travel the world? And at that point I had a small Instagram following the word influencer collaborations weren't things like buzzwords as they are right now. And, um, originally Pangea started as a production company. We would work with five to 10 small to mid-sized brands that couldn't afford their own on location productions. So they would hire us and send, and send us to these beautiful locations. And so, um, yeah, we would work with a couple of brands. They would choose their packages for different content creation, and we would travel to beautiful destinations. And in the first year we went to Bali, Iceland, Cuba, and the Bahamas. Um, and it was absolutely amazing. Um, and then through that, as I was sharing more on social, you know, I would get questions from women who were coming across my page being like, what are you doing? And how are you doing this? How are you traveling? You know, what does it mean to collaborate with a hotel or a tourism board? Or how do you work with all these different brands? And while I was building Pangea as a production company, you know, what was really lacking was support and community. Mm -hmm. And, the next iteration of Pangea was really listening to the audience, you know, being like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, I had the answers, but I didn't have the community. And so I was like, how do I bridge these two together? And that's when the next kind of like phase of Pangea dreams evolved. And I launched the first ever, um, blogger retreat. And, um, in basically two weeks, I sold out of three back-to-back retreats in Bali and, um, it was incredible. Basically, the, the premise of the Pangea Dreams retreats were teaching women how to start, scale, and launch digital-based businesses, um, you know, and also being very focused on like the community aspect of it, because 
so many of the women that were joining us on the retreats were dealing with so many of the same feelings, emotions, struggles. And that was a beautiful way to bring people together as well, not only through, you know, the emotional standpoint of things, but also through the educational piece. So you're so young, you launch this company and then you evolve it into something else. Like what gave you that self-belief? Have you always been someone that was like, I can fucking do anything I put my mind to, or what were your thoughts then? Like, tell us about what went into that. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, it was really like, again, back to when I was, you know, in high school and early into, into college, like I knew that I wanted to live differently based on just the way that I was, the way that I interacted with the world and then learning from my travels. And I knew that if I wanted to live differently, I needed to create my own playbook because it just wasn't there. It didn't exist. And that was my motivation really around creating Pangea and doing all these things was if I don't do it, then I'm going to live someone else's life. And I don't want that. I want to live my own life on my own terms. And um, I need to figure it out because if I'm not figuring it out, then nobody else is either. So that was really kind of my motivation behind, you know, the driving force behind like the creation aspect of, of the business side. So what would you tell someone that maybe feels like you felt then, but doesn't know how to find that self-belief or confidence to do it, but they feel like they're not living a life in alignment and they want to make a change, but feel a little bit stuck. Mm, I think it's tapping, tap into your heart, tap into your intuition, tap into your gut, you know, like those are our superpowers, especially as women. Like we can really, really, we can tell the future. Like it's just wild. And I know that sounds like a little bit out there, but when you have that initial gut instinct of something, you know, don't question it really like act on it. And I think that again, it's, it's a superpower that we've become so disconnected to and it's really sad, you know, and we're always second guessing ourselves. We're always questioning, should I go here? Should I do this? Should I do that? Like I have this idea, but like this and this and this, I think a big question to ask yourself when you're in that state, when you know what it is that you want so badly, but you don't know how to get there, ask yourself if fear wasn't a factor in this decision-making, if scarcity wasn't a decision in the, in the decision-making and if money wasn't a decision, what would you do? Uh, you know, how would you act? And then from there, make a plan and work backwards. It's so crazy. As you say that too, like I see my brain open up, like you're, mm. everything is lifted, right? Because when those yeah. things, when those things aren't in place, you're like, holy shit, what could I do? And here are all the things I would love to do. And I think we, we look at the external, right? We don't follow our intuition. We're kind of taught to look at whether it's a city, whether it's pay, whether it's the right next step to get us to the right next thing, which is usually an externally focused thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why I'm saying go inside, go internally within yourself, ask yourself those tough questions, remove all the barriers of entry. And then from there, work backwards to see, okay, how can I actually make this happen? And a last point of that is, I think it is important to bounce ideas off of other people, but at the end of the day, the answers that are truest for us, Mm -hmm. we already have within us. Yeah. So, so good. And I think often when we ask people like their opinion or thoughts, I always think to myself now, I'm like, what do I actually want them to tell me? Because that's what I want to do. You <laughs> exactly. know, you know yeah. it's like, I actually just want you to tell me something. That's why I'm coming to you because this matters so much. And 
really like looking inward is a step we often don't take. Mm -hmm. That's like checking in with yourself, even in like everyday situations, you know, if you're having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden something just doesn't feel right in you, pay attention to that. Like, was it something that they said? Mm-hmm. Was it a mannerism, a body movement that they did? Was it just that maybe they, they triggered something within you? Yeah. And like, what is that? It's tapping into yourself more, getting in tune with yourself and like building that relationship with yourself so that you can then begin to start trusting yourself more. And that's where the self-confident begins. Like the more you trust yourself, the deeper you can connect with yourself, the more you truly know who you are, the more you'll develop that self-confidence and self-love. Were you always someone that had a good sense of your intuition then, or did you do anything that helped you tap into that or any practices or things that like expanded that maybe from a spiritual standpoint or a different Mm -hmm. practice? I think I always had some sort of connection to it, but it really strengthened for me once I, once I created Pangea, you know, because now I had to show up and I needed to face the, the, the constant entrepreneurial journey of like, this sucks. This is terrible. This is going to fail. Oh no. Like this is amazing. And it's such a roller coaster of emotions. I needed to figure out a way to like support myself emotionally. So I wasn't going through these crazy highs and lows all the time. And a big practice for me in doing that. And again, it sounds cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason, you know, and like they're real was really, really practicing a daily gratitude practice, you know, and through that, I was able to celebrate my small wins. I was able to really acknowledge, you know, the small things in life that we take for granted every single day. And by doing that, it almost reprogrammed my brain from thinking from a scarcity and lack mindset Mm -hmm. to one of abundance. Yeah. I feel like that is so, so key. And with gratitude practices, it's funny when you do it, you start realizing the small things, but I was talking to my boyfriend about this. We were having dinner. I was like, okay, what three things you're grateful for? And I like said my three things. I'm like so annoying with these things. Cause I'm always (laughs) like, so how's highs and lows? But (laughs) he's like, I'm like, I had the best like cup of coffee this morning and read my book or whatever. And he's like, I don't know, like works good because like, you don't think about like the small things. Right. And he's like, you're going so minuscule. And I was like, but that's, that's the point. And I think we don't, Mm. we don't acknowledge like the little, the little gratitudes in life sometimes. Exactly. And especially as an entrepreneur, you know, on the back end of things, you know, how much more work you need to do, how much more you want to accomplish. But on the outside, like people don't know that, you know, they just like, Oh, cool. She's doing really well. It's great. She's building. But it's so important as an entrepreneur, you know, as, as a freelancer, you know, whatever it is like to take those small wins and really acknowledge them because that's, what's going to give you the momentum to really achieve those big ones. Absolutely. So as your entrepreneurial ventures evolve, you ended up shutting down Pangea and now you have something called mesh, which is a similar community-based experience. Can you explain this to us? It looks so cool. And I just love that everything you're doing has such a tie to community and connection because that's everything. And I would love to hear more about it. Yeah. So mesh and, um, LA hike club are Mm -hmm. two completely, uh, 
community-based initiatives. It's not a business at all. It's really just about bringing like-minded people together through sharing an experience. Wow. So Mesh is all about, you know, curated dinner series where we bring together really interesting people and um, we ask them to share an embarrassing or funny story. And then we kind of have storytelling time around dinner where people are able to connect around something funny, more of a human connection rather than what do you do? And it's almost like the anti-networking networking dinner series. Um, so you, it's, it's a similar way, like at Burning Man, you get to meet people where they're completely out of their element. They're not in their offices. You don't know what they do. You don't know who they are. And the way that you're able to bond and connect and foster a relationship is truly based on the human experience. You know, it's not what can you do for me or how can you help me? It's just, oh, you're a really cool human. This is a really fun conversation. You know, then after it's like, oh, I didn't know that you did that, but you've already established a beautiful bond from there. So that was kind of like the premise of the dinner series is like bringing together really amazing, thoughtful and inspirational people around a dinner but not necessarily around what they do and connecting in a different way. And LA Hike Club was something that my friend Amy and I started about a year ago, which was like, let's hold each other accountable um, to get out in nature at least once a week. We live in Los Angeles. It's so beautiful. You know, let's take advantage of the nature. And yeah, from what started as just kind of holding each other accountable, now it has like blossomed and bloomed into over... 780 people that are in the wow. telegram chat um, that now all hike together uh, at, on Wednesdays at seven o'clock in the morning. And it's been going on for a year. Every single Wednesday, a different group of people, whoever wants to come joins, we hike a beautiful trail and you're back at your desk by 9am. But like, it's been incredible. It's been an incredible way to like bring people together. And I think when you're able to create from again, authenticity, um, with no motive other than just like connection, what happens from there is pure magic. Yeah. You're such a powerful community builder. Like all of these things we've talked about have been based around community. What do you think is like the key secret sauce to building community, to hosting these events that make them different? I hear like vulnerability kind of in the mesh, like sharing a funny story or embarrassing story. Like that's so great. What, what else would you say has made these more special community connections? So vulnerability is huge. Mm -hmm. And another one is creating something around a void, you know, mm -hmm. asking yourself, what am I missing in my life? What am I lacking? What would I love more of, you know, or what are my interests? And through that, any idea that you, you have any feeling that you have anything that you're craving or wanting, you're not alone in it's not unique. So if you are craving and missing something, I guarantee there are hundreds of thousands of other people that are feeling the same thing. So if you can then from there be like, okay, I'm really missing community around outdoor experiences. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's go online. You can either yeah. search to see if someone else is doing it and then join, or you can create it yourself. So I think it's like creating community around vulnerability, but also a shared desire for yeah. a specific need, you know, um, 
whether it's nature, whether it's painting, whether it's cooking, it could be anything. We talk about a lot on this podcast, like graduating from college, like finding adult friends, finding community in new cities. Like it's such something I hold near to my heart. I was living in San Francisco at one point. I was like, where the hell do I make new friends? (laughs) And I would just love to hear your advice for anyone struggling to find community, maybe in a new city or just in their daily life, if they've outgrown the people they currently surround Mm. themselves with. I think again, tune in first to yourself. What are you craving? What do you want? What are you lacking? What are you inspired by? And what do you want to really call into Mm -hmm. your life? From there, once you have that clarity, it's really about putting yourself out there, you know, Mm -hmm. go online, find different like local meetups or different events that are happening and be uncomfortable going out to these like different experiences and find the comfort almost in the discomfort of that. And when you can do that, go there, be fully you and fully authentic and connect with people and talk again. Cause like anything that you're feeling, I'm sure there are so many people that are feeling the same thing. So if you can be vulnerable in those experiences, you'll connect with people also so much quicker. Um, and again, if you're looking for something and you want something and you can't find it, create it. Yeah. I I think that's so powerful. It's like getting uncomfortable. Vulnerability is usually the only way through, like whether you're building a business, it creates growth, whether you're making new friends, like it creates honest conversation. That is such beautiful advice. I now would like to transition and talk about something you're more focused on recently, and that is mushrooms. (laughs) So (laughs) can you please tell us about your experience with mushrooms in your health and psychedelically and like what the hell makes you so stoked about mushrooms? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Mushrooms are going to change the world. I love Uh, it. (laughs) For me, my journey with mushrooms began about five or six years ago. And I kind of just fell upon functional mushrooms. So that's non-psychoactive, non-psychedelic mushrooms like reishi, chaga, turkey tail, lion's mane. Um, I was struggling with really, really terrible eczema. I had it all over my face, uh, my neck, my hands, my arms, like it was terrible. And for those of you who don't know what it is, it's an autoimmune disease. Um, It's a sort of like, it's a rash that's extremely itchy. And every doctor that I would go to was like, oh, you just have, you have eczema, put a cortisone cream on it. You'll be fine. And I tried that. It just didn't work. It made the problem worse. And as I was beginning to get more and more frustrated with, you know, Western medicine, I was like, you know what? I need to be my own citizen doctor and take my health into my own hands because clearly this system is not working. And that's when I really dove into listening to more functional medicine doctors and naturopathic doctors through podcasts and just listening and learning on my own of like, how are they treating different autoimmune diseases? Because autoimmune diseases are just caused by inflammation in our body. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get to the root cause of what was causing this inflammation and why I was, why I was experiencing this. And a big theme that they were talking about to help reduce inflammation was functional mushrooms and incorporating Yeah. I was like, wow, I never even thought of that. And I had never heard of any of these mushrooms before. So I started doing that. I started incorporating functional mushrooms into my everyday routines through powders, tinctures, and capsules. Um, and you know, through doing that and also doing a few other kind of like elimination diets, really cleaning out my diet, not stopping to drink alcohol. Um, I started to heal myself 
And that was really the turning point of when I started to look at food as medicine. And I mean, I, I cured myself completely. It's been probably like three or four years now that I don't have any eczema, like I'm cured. Um, and that's when, yeah, I really changed my life. So I still don't drink alcohol. It's been five years and it was in those experiences where I was really able to also own the quality of my life and not have it be dictated by anyone else. You know, I was able to have so much autonomy with my life professionally, but then when it came to my health, you know, I always sought it out outside seeking someone else's advice. Now I have the tools and the confidence also to really, again, tune into my body and be like, what is my body craving? What does my body need? And what foods and supplements can I then incorporate to help heal that? And that was another big shift of like really um, gaining the confidence to also take my health into my own hands too. So crazy because our healthcare system's like so disconnected, right? Like your doctor wants to give you a cream or a pill, but then like you, they, it makes you feel like, okay, you have to go like fully holistic or you only use like certain things. And I feel like there's such a miss. And we've talked about on this podcast before about exactly what you're talking about, like the power of cleaning up your health and your diet and just what you're putting inside of you. Oh my God. We overcomplicate everything, everything. Everything. It's like, it doesn't have to be so complicated at all. Like really the answer most of the time is pretty simple. Um, And I think that also that goes in every area of life. It's like, how can I simplify (sighs) this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was it like giving up alcohol? How did that start and how did it evolve to giving it up completely? So because my skin was so bad every time, and my body was also so aggravated and inflamed every time I would drink alcohol, whether it was just like a glass of wine or just one drink, my skin would start to like break out where I had the rashes and they would get extremely itchy. And I was just so physically uncomfortable that honestly giving away, giving up alcohol wasn't hard for me at all because the physical toll that it took on me was so uncomfortable that I was like, this just isn't worth it, you know? And so that, in that aspect, it was actually very easy to give, to give up alcohol. The hard part actually was the social aspect. And it wasn't that for me, it was hard to give it up. And then I felt uncomfortable in social settings. I was fine. It was people's reaction to me, not drinking that made them so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I had to then deal with, you know? Yeah. Yeah, It makes everyone (laughs) at the table uncomfortable. It's crazy. It was like, I think alcohol is the only drug that Mm -hmm. people will shame you for not doing. Totally. And they, and people feel the need for an explanation. Like if someone says I'm not doing cocaine, everyone's like, like, okay. okay. (laughs) If someone says, I'm not drinking. It's like, Oh, are you, are you pregnant? Do you have a, like you either have to be pregnant or have a problem with it because without that, they want an explanation. Well, do you have to work tomorrow? Like what's the deal? Mm -hmm. It couldn't just be like, Oh no, I'm not drinking. It's such a wild experience. And it also showed me how much lack of sensitivity there is around, um, around alcohol consumption. You know, like if I, let's say I did have an addiction for you to ask me, Oh, are you, are you a recovering alcoholic? That's incredibly inappropriate to ask someone who write, who might genuinely be struggling with that. So socially I learned a lot and it also, I feel in a way gave me an advantage, um, 
because I remembered everything all the time when I would go out. I never had a hangover. I always felt amazing, you know, where everyone else was like struggling the next day with a hangover, not getting out of bed. I had such an unfair advantage on the clarity of my mind, my body, everything. So yeah, I think cutting out alcohol probably was one of the biggest life hacks I've ever done. And I don't, I don't think I'll ever drink alcohol again. I have no desire for it and I don't miss it at all. I think the clarity, not drinking in the brain space it provides you, like even if it's a month or two months or whatever, like a short time, like you, you know, it instantly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I personally struggle with. Like, I don't, I don't want to have one drink because like I lose that clarity the next day from like just one drink. Like it's not, it's no longer worth like your mind. And I think that's something a lot of people are waking up to now with more of like a sober curious movement going on. And like, especially where you live and where you're from. I feel like in LA and Venice, like there's a (laughs) lot more people that are embracing sobriety than maybe other parts of the world. Absolutely. So I was living in New York before and that's such a heavy drinking culture. You know, that was like a little bit more challenging to navigate through because people would be so uncomfortable here in Los Angeles, specifically also like in Venice, no one drinks. It's amazing. Like it's, it's so great. And back to like tapping into your intuition, alcohol is a downer, you know, it Mm -hmm. clouds your judgment. It disconnects you from your body and your emotions and your intuition that I do think that too, stopping to drink alcohol allowed me to tap in even deeper to my intuition and my instincts. Yeah. It gave you probably such an unmatched power and like building everything and doing everything you do. Mm-hmm. And that's something we all have access to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So going back to the mushrooms a little bit, what are like the key benefits that you found for mushrooms, obviously curing your eczema, but like what really made you dive in and then be like, holy shit, everyone, you need to figure out about mushrooms because this is crazy. What really drew you in? I could not believe the health effects of functional mushrooms, as well as the diversity of the ailments that they could help treat. You know, when we're talking about reishi, reishi, they call the queen of mushrooms. Mm -hmm. That is an incredible one for overall adrenal, immune, and um, like adaptogen regulation, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's it's amazing for like rest, relax, um, inflammation in your body, like really the overall mushroom for health. Then Chaga as well, same thing. Amazing for for inflammation in your your body and reducing it. Turkey tail has been seen to like reduce the size of tumors and also inflammation. So it's like all of these mushrooms are incredible for your immune system and alleviating inflammation in your body. And again, inflammation is the root cause of all disease. So that in itself, I was like, wow, this this is incredible. And then when we're thinking of like even more focused Uh, lion's mane is incredible for your brain, for cognition and for focus, for clarity. Then there's cordyceps, which is amazing for athletic performance because it helps with oxygenating your blood and lung capacity, you know? And it was like, wow, like these mushrooms, like just simple mushrooms. And they're all so different. Um, and you can use them for different use cases. I, I thought, you know, it was like, this is, this is really powerful. So there's not a day that goes by where I'm not incorporating mushrooms into my day, whether it's in the morning or at night. And I also cured my seasonal allergies somehow through mushrooms. So mushrooms have completely changed my life in a functional standpoint. Um, and then 
you know, if we're talking about psychedelic mushrooms, that's a whole other category of benefits. And that really taps more into like mental health and the future of mental health treatments. Um, you know, psychedelic mushrooms, the active ingredient is psilocybin. And there are so many clinical trials right now happening using psilocybin wow. where they're actually treating depression, anxiety, PTSD, eating disorders, addiction, and then overall just like personal development and growth. Mm -hmm. And it's really profound and incredible to see the success of these trials and studies. Um, because honestly, if we do want to change the world in any capacity, it starts with changing our mind yeah. and mushrooms do that. Absolutely. I'm reading Joe Dispenza's, um, What's it? The like unlearning yourself or the art of oh. stopping. Your, what's it called? Anyways, but it's the same concept. It's like to change your life, you have to change your mind. Yeah. But tell us about your first experience then with psychedelic mushrooms and what drew you to them and what was so powerful about that experience. So I had, it was about, I think, two and a half years ago, almost three years uh, that I, the first time I tried uh, magic mushroom mm -hmm. psilocybin. And I've always been, you know, a pretty like optimistic, um, happy person. And in this first experience, I basically just laughed for four hours straight. I was with three other friends. We were upstate New York and we were out in a field, like in nature. And I had never, I mean, I wouldn't say never, but I hadn't laughed that deeply. I think since I was like a child, you know, it unlocked this childish wonder, laughter, and curiosity in me that after that experience, I was still able to access. And that was now like a new, a new tool that I had in my toolkit that anytime I was able to like tap back into. And that was like a turning point for me to be like, wow, this was such a profound and healing experience for me how profound can this truly be for people who are really suffering with debilitating mental illness, you know, and that was where I was like, okay, I want to learn more about psychedelics in terms of how they can treat and help mental health. And, you know, one of the, the books that I started reading was Michael Pollan's how to change your mind. It's an incredible book to read or audio book to listen to. And from there, I started diving more into like the literature, listening to different podcasts and just learning more. And the more that I learned, the more curious I became and the more fascinated I was with the work that was happening in the space. And at that point, you know, it was kind of also around then when I was closing Pangea and all of that was happening. I was like, this is where I want to dedicate the next, you know, decade of my life to is the mushroom space, the mental health and psychedelic industry. And I mean, it's, it's really incredible. And I'm just every day hearing and learning more. And I'm just so inspired by it. God, that's so crazy that it's like supporting with anxiety and depression and eating disorders and all of these things, because obviously it's not something a doctor would recommend to you normally. And I think it's, we. I was just talking about this with even like CBD on a podcast about how like there's a lot of benefits that doctors don't recommend. How do you see the space evolving or like, have you seen any success with some of these trials and like, what are you excited about in the space right now then? 
There are a lot of trials that are seeing incredible success. Um, psychedelic assisted therapy is going to be the next wave of mental health treatment. It's already happening. Um, ketamine clinics are already open. There's over 500 across North America. Um, MAPS is doing an amazing clinical trials and research using MDMA specifically for treating PTSD. And the psilocybin clinical trials that are happening now are really also focusing on PTSD, depression, and end-of-life care, um, which, again, it's so powerful. So all of this is already happening, and doctors soon will be prescribing this treatment. Um, it's not yet fully legalized, but Canada actually just did legalize it specifically for end-of-life care. Um, so it's happening. The movement is happening. It's here. We're very much on the precipice of it, which is really exciting. Um, it's yeah. I mean, it's just incredible what's happening. And the reason why psychedelics are so profound is because it actually turns off your default mode network of your brain. Your default mode network is your conditional thought patterns throughout your life, certain things happen to you. And that's how you learn how to interact with your day to life, day to day life. That's how you are triggered by certain things. You know, you, you fall back into patterning. So what happens is it, it shuts that down. So then you're able to think from a completely different area wow. of your brain. And in doing so, your brain is firing new neural pathways. It's connecting in different ways. It's new neural synapses are being fired. And it allows you to think expansively outside of yourself where it removes your ego. And because of that, you know, they're comparing one psilocybin journey to four years of therapy, which, you know, again, it's crazy. So, so yeah, crazy. I mean, so I have to ask this then, like you obviously can't tell everyone to go buy a bunch of shrimps, but <laughs> what, like, what is the recommended like idea around if you want to experiment with mushrooms and psychedelics in that way? Like, I feel like we, people hear horror stories, right? Like a mm. bad trip and whatever, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So great question. Um, I think as psychedelics become more widely acceptable, you know, they're going to be more accessible, more and more people talk about it the area that we really need to focus on is education, you know, and really educating the recreational user as well as the mental health and therapeutic side of things. So I think if someone is curious, you know, to experience psilocybin um, and go on a journey, some of the most important things to ask yourself are considering set, setting, and dosage. So your mindset, where is your mind at right now? How are you feeling emotionally? You know, are you extremely triggered? Are you feeling like very emotional? You're not in a men great mental space right now. Maybe it's not the best time for you to do it. So you want to check in with yourself and see where am I at emotionally and mentally right now? If you're in an open place, you're feeling like you're ready for, you know, a mind altering experience. Great. But definitely check in, tune in with your mindset. Another thing to consider is your physical setting, you know, so I would say for a first time, don't do it in a place where you don't feel safe. Don't do it at a concert. Don't do it, you know, with a group of people that you don't really know very well. Um, I would recommend doing it outdoors or in your home with a trusted group of friends, a trusted or, or just one person. Um, people that you feel really safe and comfortable with, and also in a physical space where you feel safe and comfortable. 
And then of course, dosage. So the dosage, how much you're going to take is going to dictate the depth of the experience as well. So that's also something to very much consider too. What do you think people then often get wrong about like psychedelics? Like what do you wish people would stop saying about psychedelic mushrooms? I think the reason why people have bad trips Mm -hmm. is because they're not considering set setting and dosage. They're going into it, not really knowing what they're going into and doing, you know? And so therefore then if they're not in the best mindset, they're not in the best, best physical setting, mushrooms take you on their journey. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't take (laughs) mushrooms on a journey. They take you on a journey and they show you what you need to see. And if you're not necessarily ready to see it, then that can turn into what people call a bad trip. I don't necessarily consider things bad or good. You know, a bad trip in another light could just be a hard journey, a hard experience. And that might be, you know, again, mentally what you need to see to really begin, begin the healing process of things. So I think the more you dabble with psychedelics, the more comfortable you become. It's almost like you're developing a relationship with the mushrooms too, and a trust, you know, and so it's sacred medicine. And that's why I think, again, as mushrooms become more widely acceptable and people do them more recreationally, I just hope that they do it with intention you know, because it really is sacred plant medicine that can teach us and show us so much. Then I have to ask you, like, what are your thoughts on people drinking and taking mushrooms? I'm completely against it. You're again, though, people do it. And And I guess there's different use cases of how people want to engage with psychedelics and to each their own, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do you, but you're missing so much of the point of the magic of what the plant can teach you. Yeah. That's so interesting. If someone has listened to this and they're like, okay, maybe I'm not taking psychedelics yet, but like, I clearly need to get mushrooms all up in my diet based on everything you said they do for us. Like, where should they start? What are things you do maybe incorporate in your daily routine? I feel Mm -hmm. like they're everywhere now. There's like four sigmatic coffee and there's like so many things that are mushroom infused. Like it's kind of hard to know what actually is going to be valuable. Absolutely. So there's now so many different ways that you can incorporate mushrooms into your daily routine. If you're someone that likes to take pills and capsules, like as part of your supplement protocol, that's easy. There are so many different incredible companies that have mushroom capsules. Mm -hmm. So you can do it that way. If you like tinctures, there's a bunch of tincture companies that you can put into your coffee. You could put them into your smoothies. Um, You can also put it into your water or tea. Um, So that's a great way to also incorporate them. If you're someone who likes powders, that's also a great way. Again, powders can go really well in smoothies, in your coffee. Um, And now more recently, actually in the last few months, I'm seeing so many gummy companies pop up. Mm, I love a gummy. I love a gummy too. (laughs) So for me, like I love, I mean, I do the tinctures and the powders in the morning, um, but in the afternoon, like if I want like something sweet or a little snack, like I'll have my mushroom gummies too. So I love there's so it. many fun ways yeah. to incorporate them. Um, yeah. And there's a bunch of amazing brands. Something that I would say to note is make sure that the product is made from the fruiting body and, or um, mycelium. I wouldn't buy a product that just is, is a mycelial based. So if it just says mycelium or mycelial biomass, I would stay away from that kind of a product. Um, you definitely want to be using the mushroom fruiting body. 
um, as part of like the primary mushroom part. Okay. That's super good to know. And to even get more granular, is there any like specific mushrooms someone listening should focus on? Again, it depends on your what your, your needs mm-hmm. are. So okay. I think incorporating turkey tail and reishi every day is amazing because that's again for overall general health, for immune boosting effects, as well as decreasing inflammation. Um, if you're someone that wants to, you know, really like f- gain more focus, more clarity, um, mental cognition, definitely incorporate lion's mane into your morning routine or your afternoon. And then if you're, you know, someone who wants to boost energy and try is trying to stay away from caffeine, definitely incorporate cordyceps. Awesome. I'm going to link all this in the show notes so everyone knows. Tracy, I have two closing questions for you. And the first is, what is one thing you wish you valued more or paid more attention to earlier in life? Such a good question. Um, And this is something that I still am struggling with is I wish earlier on in life, I valued more having a morning routine. Mm. Yeah. Like I, I think that that sets you up for so much success. It sets the tone for your day. It also like allows you to ground with yourself, no matter where you are in the world. Like if you're traveling, like if you have a solid morning routine, um, I think that's really powerful. And so that's still something that I'm trying to figure out for myself. It was like, what are like the key three to five things that I need to do every morning? Um, I think that would be really powerful for anyone morning yeah. routine. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And I think it's like, okay, what is doable and feasible? Cause sometimes you make your morning routine. You're like, okay, so I heard I'm supposed to write in my journal and do gratitude and drink this and work out. And then you're like, well, now I have a three hour morning routine. So <laughs> definitely something attainable exactly. is something I'm working on as well. Tracy, what is one piece of advice you would give to the Tracy who just graduated from college? Mm, I would say don't harp on the little things, um, focus on what's truly important to you and your heart, you know, like again, tapping back into that intuition piece is crucial. Um, and I think staying true to yourself, like being authentically you, you know, asking, it's all, it always comes back to checking in with yourself for me. You know, it's like, if you can gain that relationship strength with yourself, everything else follows from there. So love yourself and whatever that means for you. Um, and don't get swayed by other people's opinions. I think that again, if you can strengthen that relationship with you and who you are, you can build the trust with yourself everything else really does truly like trickle and follow from there. But if you're guided by other people's thoughts and ideas of what you should do or what you shouldn't do or how you should act and how you shouldn't act, like you're never truly living in authenticity to yourself, you're missing the whole point. Um, So that's something that I would really, yeah, continue to like really preach and say is like everything comes back to you and you living in authentic truth to yourself because from there, everything trickles. Ah, so beautiful. Tracy, where can our listeners find you, support you, and probably follow whatever crazy venture you're going to launch next with <laughs> mushrooms because I'm sure it's coming. Yes, definitely stay tuned because I am working on a new company, which I'm really excited about. Um, and that's going to be more in like the psychedelic ancillary space. Uh, it's called Tripkin. 
Um, and it'll be a friend of your trip. So I'm not going to share too much. Oh my much, gosh. But <laughs> I'm so excited. This is so cool. I think it'll solve a lot of problems and it's definitely, um, filling a void that I see right now in the psychedelic space. So I'm really excited for that. So stay, you can, you can stay up to date with, with me on, honestly, Instagram is probably the best way. It's, it's my name, Tracy Comlos, and I'll be sharing more stuff there as they develop. Well, I'm so excited to hear. I will link all that in the show notes. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Tracy. I hope you guys were as obsessed with it as I was. If you enjoyed it, please share it on social, share it with a friend and let me know what resonated with you. And if you haven't left a rating and review on Apple or Spotify, please take a second to do that. It truly helps the podcast grow and it means the world to me. That's all for me this week, guys. I'll be back next week with another episode.